Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. I am excited about this series we're doing. It's called The Gospel According to Abraham. And uh, we started it last week and we, we talked about the call of God on our life. And um, I just want to recap it so you understand, because it's a theme that's going to be throughout this series as we study Abraham in in the book of Genesis, is that um, the call of God is not just for pastors and missionaries. Anyone who has ever accepted Christ as their Savior has been called by God. And your job is, the rest of your life, is to be living that call out, learning what it is, God calls you to new places, all kinds of things. And here's the deal. God called you first. You may have chose God, and I talked about this last week. If you remember, I, I, I said, hey, uh, my wife and I, we chose each other when we got married, but I saw her first. That's just the truth of the matter. I saw her first. I chose her first. And um, it's the same way with God. You may have chose God, but he saw you first. He knew. And he called you to him. And then the rest of your life as a Christian, he's calling you higher to higher levels of obedience, to, to deeper levels of intimacy with him. He's calling you higher and deeper throughout your life. And sometimes he calls you to places, to new places, and sometimes he calls you through places. And I want you to understand that. And that's the premise of this series. Today, we're going to um, talk, talk about ambition in the call of God and what ambition is. And before we read from God's word, I do want to show you a video. It's from a cinematic masterpiece, very serious movie about a young boy who, um, as a young boy, he didn't have a relationship with his father. He hardly ever saw his father. And the one time he saw his father was at career day. It was career day at his school and all the dads came and shared what they did for a living. And he didn't think his dad was going to be there. And his dad showed up and his dad was a race car driver. And he got up and he was kind of crude and he got kicked out of the, out of the classroom. And um, he said something to his son. It was a powerful phrase that just stuck with him. And it drove that young boy into manhood his whole life. He lived by it. And, and it, it became really the foundation for which he lived. So um, I think this movie might have won a couple Academy Awards. I don't know. But fix your eyes on it, and um, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> that was about the only clip from the movie I could show in church. So, um, and we still had to edit it. So anyway, so here, here's the deal. In, in that movie, though, he's driven by that phrase, if you ain't first, you're last. And the rest of his life, it becomes the foundation by which he lives his life. And um, I'm not saying that's the foundation by which you should live your life, but many times that is the one of the world. And um, today we're going to read from Genesis chapter 13. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to break it out, um, whether it's an electronic device or um, I actually went back to the paper Bible. Remember these? It's pretty cool, actually. I was like, wow, you can touch the pages. So um, uh, I would love you to break your Bible out to Genesis chapter 13. And we're going we're to read about uh, Abraham and Lot. And if, if you could, I would love it if you'd stand in honor of God's word. And my friend Marty is going to read from the word of the Lord. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. 
Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to give you a little background about this story, so it, it, it'll help make a little more sense as well, too. Um, so there's a chapter before this in 12 that we skipped for this series. I'm going to be honest with you. We could stay in Abraham for three or four years and teach through it. I mean, we'll come back to it, I'm sure. But in chapter 12, here's what you have to understand. Uh, last week, we talked about how Abraham left his, his homeland, Ur the Chaldeans, and he came to Canaan, uh, which is modern-day Israel. And God called him to that place. God called him that land. And we talked about the call, right? So then the next chapter, chapter 12, while he's in Canaan, there's a famine there. And God's called him to Canaan, but, you know, he kind of follows conventional wisdom, just like everyone else. There's a famine. I know you called me here, God, but I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of business. So he moves down to Egypt. He leaves his call. He takes a detour from his call, and he's going to do it his way. He's going to follow conventional wisdom. He's going to follow the wisdom of the world, and he goes down to live in Egypt. And here's the thing. When he goes to live in Egypt, I told you, Abraham was not a perfect person. He was like you and me. He made mistakes. He sinned. He, you know, and when he gets down to Egypt, he knows something. See, the Bible said this about his wife, Sarah. The Bible said, and it's, it's a Hebrew term, it, it's, it's, it's a Hebrew word, and it means haughty. Sarah was a haughty, okay? She was hot, all right? And he knew, like, my wife is beautiful, and if I go down to Egypt, I know what's going to happen. Pharaoh's officials are going to see her and go, dang, and then they're going to kill me, and they're going to take her and put her in Pharaoh's uh, concubine, and I don't want to die, so he's thinking about himself. He's not even thinking about her. And he goes to her and he goes, hey, do me a favor. When we get to, Is or to Egypt, tell, when they ask who you are, let's say you're my sister. That way they won't kill me. 
and um, they'll treat us well. And here's the weird part. I'm just going to let you know. Um, that was a lie, but technically not a lie. It was a half-truth. Because believe it or not, Abraham and Sarai were brother and sister through marriage. I know. Da-da-ding, ding, 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 right? <laughs> Creepy. You guys are so immature. Anyways, so <laughs> they go down and they lie. Yeah, this is my sister. And... Um, Pharaoh takes her into his concubine and gives Abraham a ton of, like, herds and gold and silver. And Abraham and his family become very rich in Egypt by lying. He left the call, went his own way, and made a lot of money. Well, in the end, Abraham got found out. He got kicked out of Egypt. He took all his wealth, and he went back to Canaan. He went back to his call. And here's what I want you to understand before we go any further in this passage is um, if you're a believer in Jesus, God's called you, but I want you to know something. I think every one of us have had our Egypt moments where the things of the world seem more logical than the things of God, where the things of the world were more enticing than the things of God. And we've all spent time in Egypt. And, and, and I want you to know God still loves you. He just wants you to come back. Come back to your call. Come back to the thing you were called to. The, the one you were called to. So, so, so we'll go there. So, so that's what happened it, it, b- before we read this passage. So now he's back in the land of Canaan, right? And um, if you, you look at verse 2 in the passage, it says, Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went to a place... From place to place, it was a nomadic tribe, right? And he came to Bethel, to, to a place between Bethel and Ai, where he had first been earlier and where he had first built an altar. And then it says this. It says, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Um, it, you might want to underline that phrase if you have a Bible because that's code word in the Old Testament for worship. So he went right back to the place where he, God had called him to. He had built an altar there. He had sacrificed to God. That's how they worshiped back then. Um, worship wasn't in an hour and 15-minute service where you get entertained. That's just not, that, that actually isn't what worship is, believe it or not. Worship is you lifting God up, not God lifting you up. I want you to understand that. Sometimes we, we, get, we get it backwards, and I do too, and we go, oh, uh, I didn't get a lot out of worship today. Well, you're not supposed to. It's for God, not you. That's the reality of it. Now, what happens is when, whenever you chase after God, you get the blessings of God, and, and you can be blessed by worshiping him. But worship is always something you give to God. It's a sacrifice. And this is what he did. He made an altar, and he worshiped, and he gave to God. Okay? So, so he called on the name of the Lord. And then it, sa- it says here... Um, in verse 5, it says, Now Lot was moving about with Abraham. And you have to realize Lot was his nephew. Lot's dad had died. So Abraham was now the father figure in his life. He was the patriarch. And Lot would treat him like he, Abram was his father. Okay? And it's, it says here, But the land, verse 6, The land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land, okay? So, so there's too many sheep. 
There's too, too much going on. And not to mention, not just um, Abraham and Lot live in that land. If you've ever been to that land, uh, the soil is very rocky. It's not super lush. It would have been more forested then than it is today. It's very desert-like, AI and Can like Canaanite land. Um, but it still is not like the greatest of land, right? But down, and it's on a mountain. It's on this big mountain, and you can see almost all of Israel from this mountain, okay? And look, if you, if you look to the east, down in a valley, it's a big, huge valley, and um, it was very lush. It was the Jordan River Valley, and the Jordan River is huge, and it comes down the valley, and all these little streams would feed the Jordan River, and it was lush. It was beautiful, okay? And it, um, it's, if you've ever been there, it's 1,300 feet below sea level, so it's super hot, and there's a river running down the middle. Huh. It's the center of agriculture for the whole Middle East. It's been that for thousands of years. Sounds a lot like our valley, doesn't it? The only difference is they don't have a train. That they're, they're fighting over water there too. Everyone wants their water. They don't have a train. That's the, that, that would be the, the difference right now. And, and Abraham does something. He says something that is so out of the box for people of that day. That it's actually a mind-blowing statement. And for us, we read over it, and it's not a big deal. But if you look at what verse 8 says, it says, So Abraham's, Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders or mine, for we're relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Okay? So Lot, he looks around, and he sees this lush valley, and he says, well, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the valley and the water. You can have the rocks and the, the weeds. And he goes down, and they, and they part ways. And here's the deal with Abraham right now. There's three things we're going to talk about today. Number one is Abraham. I'm going to talk about Abraham. So if you have your outline, you can write that down, Abraham. Abraham had three relationships he had to navigate in, the, in this scenario, okay? First and foremost, he had um, family relationships, right? Him and Lot were, were close. Lot's like a son to him. He does, Abraham doesn't have a son. And, and here's the deal. Um, in that society, when people would have read this, when it was originally written by Moses, they would have went, oh, what? He's giving Lot the choice? That's not how it worked back then. It was a patriarchal society, and the guy at the top always made the decisions, and it was always for his benefit. And to offer the younger a, a, a choice on what he wants was maddening. Like, why would you do that? That's, that's crazy. And see, the way, the way it worked, and to us, it doesn't seem crazy because um, the society we live in, whether you believe in Jesus or not, we're very Christianized um, we, we tend to like to put other people first. That's a value of ours. When I first got to Fresno, one of the things I noticed is how everyone drives. You get to a stop sign. They'd be like, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, go! I'm from Southern California. I'm very impatient behind the wheel. <laughs> they, they, Abraham in that society would have said, I'm going to take the good land. I'm going to grow my crops because when I die, or I'm going to grow my herds because when I die, you're going to get it all anyway. So you stay up here in the rocks. I'm going to go get, get more wealthy. That's the way it always worked 100% of the time. But for some reason, Abraham, as he's negotiating this relationship with Lot, he says, 
You pick. How could he do that? Like, no anxiety, doesn't worry about his legacy, doesn't worry about his money, doesn't worry about any, any, of, any of that stuff. So he also had not just a relationship with his family. He was, he was trying to negotiate. He didn't, you, some of you know you've had family businesses go south, and it's a, a, a terrible thing. But he also is ne- negotiating a relationship with his money and his career and the people that depend on him. He was a patriarch. There were people that worked for him. There was a lot, a lot of responsibility. And he has to negotiate that. And if he doesn't pick the Jordan River Valley, um, he may lose out in the Canaanite land. There eventually may, you know, he's only going to be able to grow his business to so big. He's only going to be able to have so much money. It might not be enough. It might not this. It might not that. We all have those worries, right? Um, so he has to negotiate his relationship to his family, his relationship to his, his, his work, his business, his money, his wealth. And then he also has to negotiate one other relationship. His relationship to God. See, remember, Abraham, Abram was called to that land, that place where he was standing. He was called there, and he's there. And sometimes when God calls you to something in your life, it doesn't seem logical. It seems like there would be a lot of better choices out there. I mean, how many of you, you've been called by God to something, to a level of obedience, and you thought to yourself, no, you know what, everyone else in the world isn't doing it that way. This, this doesn't seem right. I remember, um, you know, I had, a, I had a friend, and we were talking about money and just, you know, being a, Husbands and fathers and providers and things like that. And he was, um, you know, he, he really struggled with that. He lost a lot of sleep about it because he was always thinking about it. And see, Abraham understood he had these three relationships and he couldn't keep all three. And he had to surrender one of them. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, let alone three. The truth of the matter is he had to surrender one of them in this situation. See, if he went into the Jordan, he broke it off with Lot. And he put Lot at a disadvantage. If he, but he, but he would keep his relationship with his money, but he'd also break off his relationship with God. If he, if he stayed in Canaan, he would keep his relationship with God, that, that call that he's been called to, but he would also, he'd be breaking off his relationship with his with his work, his money, his wealth, his influence, all of that. And he had a decision. And Abraham, the reason he was able to choose it without any anxiety, he said, hey, Lot, you go. If you go left, I'll go right. Is because Abraham, at this point in his life, had learned he's living his life by the call, not by what conventional logic says, what conventional wisdom says. I've been called to this place. God called me here. I'm going to do what I've been asked to do. And you know how Abraham learned it? He learned it the hard way by disobeying God and going to Egypt, right? How many of you, some of the greatest lessons you learned in your life were stupid mistakes you made? Anyone? Yeah, yeah. As a pastor, one of the things I love to do, anytime I meet a pastor who's been down the road further than me, I take him to lunch, and one of the first questions I always ask is, hey, what should I not do? And they have a whole list of, oh, don't do this. You'll kill yourself doing this. That's a mistake. That, and it's a great thing. I have a guy right now, we talk once a month on the phone, and he tells me, don't do this. I made this mistake once. And it's, it's an incredible thing. Abraham learned from his mistake in Egypt. He said, I'm done doing it the world's way. I'm done doing it my way. 
I've been called here. I'm going to stay here. So I'm just going to give Lot the choice. That way he feels empowered. So that's, that's, that's what he does. And see, Abraham had his priorities right. See, we, typically there's three kind of priorities we put in line. And um, typically, and I'm gonna, I'll speak to men in a giant stereotype right now. And I want you to understand something. Preachers, we have to speak in giant stereotypes. We only have 35 minutes. So lay off us, okay? I know there's exceptions to the stereotype, all right? So typically men, the way, the way we, we end up thinking is um, we prioritize things with, with money, then family, then God. Or you could say work. You don't even have to say money. And here's why we do that. And it's, it's with great intentions, but it's wrong. We say, well, you know, God's called me to be the provider for my family. So if I, I, I work my career and I do well in my career, I'll provide well for my family. My kids will go to college. They'll get paid for. They won't come out with debt. Um, they, you know, when, when I'll be able to retire. I won't have to rely on them. And if I build my career, it will bless my family, and therefore I will honor God. And that's so typically the way a lot of us men think. And I want you to understand something. If that's the way you think... That is not God's will for your life. That is not what he called you to. And it's actually the opposite of what Abraham's doing here. See, what Abraham did is he had it right. You can only serve one master. He flipped it. And he said, my relationship with God is greater than my relationship to my family. And my relationship to my family is greater than my career or my money or my status or my, how I'm viewed. And see, that's the way God has intended all of us to live. But we flip it. And some of you, you may be the opposite. You may put family first and then God and then money. You still can't serve that as your master because that becomes the foundation for your life. You know, when I first started um, really uh, obeying God with, with, you know, I, I was a Christian. I read the Bible. I knew the Bible well. I worked for a church. I was an I was, I, I was a youth pastor, um, but I never honored God with my finances. That was just something I was like, look, I give a lot of time to God. I give my life to him. It's all good. And um, I had a guy that challenged me, and he said, well, why don't you give of your money to God? And I said, well, I'm a youth pastor, and my wife's a second-year teacher, so we're super rich. <laughs> I go, we owe more than we make. Like, it doesn't work that way. And, you know, like we've got to take, I got stuff to take care of. And I've got, you know, I'm, we want to have kids. And I got some to college and, and I need to retire. And I got, you know, this. And I got bills to pay and debts on and on and on. And I know God created math and the mathematics don't work. So I can't do that. And my mentor said, well, God did create math and maybe his is better than yours. He said, do what you want, though. Uh, but I got convicted, and I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to begin to trust you, God. And I started with 1%. I just 1% of our income we gave to God, and we just kind of worked our way up. And that was a wonderful thing because before we knew it, we were given 10, and we were able to give over, and we never missed a penny. And sometimes it was a sacrifice, and sometimes it hurt, but we were blessed. See, because the Bible says in, in, in the New Testament, it says it's better you're, you're, you're more blessed to give than receive, right? I had a friend, and we were talking about this once, and he, he said to me, he goes, you know, I just, Sean, I can't do it. I mean, I, I lay awake at night thinking about how, how I'm going to get my kids to college or how I'm going to retire. There, there may not be enough. 
And, and you know, I've, I've got to save and I've got to do this and I've got bills and I've got to do this. I'm worried about my job and what if I lose my job? And, what if, and I, I lose sleep about it all the time. And I, I'm always thinking about work and it consumes me. And I, I just, you know, that's like something I just can't let go of. And I understood exactly where he was. And I said, well, you know, that may be the foundation of your life. And it's better for you to build a new foundation on God than to allow God to break up your foundation. And, um, it, you know, we all lose sleep over something, don't we? Some of you, it has nothing to do with money. You're like, yeah, I don't care about money. You lose sleep over your family. Oh, my gosh, my kids. They're making choices I can't control anymore, right? Some of you, you lose sleep over uh, Destiny 2 that's coming out next month, and you can't wait to play it, and you're so excited because you're a video gamer, right? Some of you lose, like, we all lose sleep over stupid things, but, but things that we can't control, <laughs> to, to be honest. Here's the interesting thing. Um, I do, too. Is the church growing? Do people like my preaching? Oh, my gosh. Most of us rarely lose sleep over, does God love me? Is God using me? What does God want for my life? See, because typically, if we're honest, those things aren't that important to us. And I'm preaching this sermon to myself just as much as you. So, so that's Abraham. And um, I want to talk to you about Lot now, number two. I want to talk to you about Lot. See, Lot's given this choice, and he's shocked. He's like, whoa, wait, you're letting me choose? Like, where, where I take my flocks? Well, Uncle Abe, business is business. And if you're giving me the choice, I'm taking the Jordan River Valley, and I'm going to get paid. That, that's what he's saying. I, I'll take that. He doesn't go, no, you go. No, you go. No, he goes, I'll take that. That's mine. I want to get rich. I want to get paid. And it says something in verse 10 of this passage that um, I underlined it, and it just kind of stood out to me, and I didn't know why it stood out to me. And then I began to read some of the commentators, and I was like, oh, I see what's going on here. And see, every word from God is from God, and it means something. And a lot of times we'll read something and gloss over it, and then another time you'll read it again, and the Holy Spirit will in just show you something. And in verse 10 of chapter 13, it says here, it says, Lot looked around... And he saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar. It was well watered. And then it says, like the garden of the Lord. If you have a Bible, underline that word, like the garden of the Lord. See, that's what the Jews called the Garden of Eden back in the day. Okay, they called it the garden of the Lord. And um, here's, here's the, the interesting thing about that. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. So Moses, you know, lived thousands of years after the Garden of Eden. He does not know what it looks like. Um, he can only describes it vaguely in Genesis chapter 1. Lot doesn't know what the Garden of Eden looks like. Abraham doesn't know what the Garden of Eden looks like. Why did they put that in there? How did they know the garden was that well watered? It just said there were a couple rivers that flowed through it. And, and, and really what's going on there, what the commentators say, there's one scholar, his name's Robert Alter. He was uh, really, he was a Jewish scholar, and he kind of, he wrote the book on, um, on it, it's called The Art of the Biblical Narrative, and it's, it's a standard among theologians. He, he's kind of known as the man, the expert on Genesis. And Robert Alter, he, he's a retired scholar from Berkeley, and he says, you know, the reason this is put in there, the reason God put this in the scripture 
Is it saying something much more than, oh, there were some rivers going through it? See, in Eden, think about it. Before Adam and Eve sinned, in Eden, we had a perfect relationship with God. We understood ourselves. We knew ourselves. And then when sin entered the world, our relationship to God was broken. And all of a sudden, we, had this, we have this incredible insecurity to us. We are very insecure people, if we're really honest. Some of us pretend to not be. I get on stage and act really confident. But the truth of the matter is, we're all very insecure. Some of you, you're very confident. You're very good at your job. You're very successful. And you're driven. And you're driven to be good at what you do. Not so other people will think you're awesome so that you will think you're awesome and that you're worthy. Some of us are driven to make a lot of money because we don't feel worthy. Some of us are driven to get married and to find love because to prove to ourselves that we're lovable. Some of us are, are, are driven to, to whatever we're driven to. It's rarely to prove to other people. It's to prove to ourselves that we're worthy. And every one of us have this incredible sense of insignificance, like we want our life to count, and we do all kinds of things to try and make ourselves feel that way. And see, what's going on, the writer of Genesis is saying, Lot looked down on that valley and he said, maybe that's the thing that's going to be my identity. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to get paid. I'm going to be successful then people will think I'm worth something, and then I'll feel like I'm worth something. And we grasp and grasp at all kinds of things, thinking that's what's going to do it for us. For me, started when I was eight years old, when I was grasping at the Atari 2600. I knew if I had that Atari 2600 with Pac-Man, I would never need another toy in my life again. And then they came out with ColecoVision. And then they came out with Nintendo. And I thought, oh, if I had that, then I'll never need anything again. Mom and Dad can just slide pizza under my door and I'll leave them alone forever. And then I discovered girls. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on. If I could have that, then maybe. If I could have that, then maybe. And see, here, here's, the world calls it ambition. But really what it is, is it's our insecurity, grasping at something to give us worth. If my church was only bigger, if my ministry was only bigger. See, that, that's, that's the, the truth of the matter of all of our hearts, is in Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, we became lost. And God called us back to him. And the rest of our life, once you become a follower of Jesus, is a long obedience in the same direction. And God calls you higher with him in obedience and deeper in relationship to him, a deeper relationship to him. And as you go along that path, you begin to learn who you really are. So Lot, you know, he's, he's, he's all, all about it. But... I want, to, I want to talk about you and me, number three, you and me. See, God's, God's call, for some of us, sometimes it's a call home, right? Abraham was in Egypt. He left the call. Here's the good news. When God calls you, 
He never forgets about the call. You may forget about it. You may leave him, but he'll never, ever leave you. He'll never forsake you. He loves you. He's just waiting for you to come home. And, and Lot, you know, who knows? Maybe Lot, he's never heard the call before, right? And, and that, that's, the, that's the thing. You have to be called yourself. Lot can't live on Abraham's call. He can't, he can't live his life by Abraham's call. He, you, you don't get into heaven because your grandma was called. You don't get into heaven because your, your, your dad was a pastor. You don't get into heaven because your cousin was a really good Christian or, or someone in your family did it. My brothers always joke about it like, ah, you're a pastor. You'll get us in the back door of heaven. We're good, man. They're joking, sort of. But I mean, that, you know, it's a jo- they, they know, but... But, but they joke that way because the truth, of ma- the truth of the matter is you have to be called. And you may have forgotten your call. Maybe you're called as a child, as a teenager. God called you. He knocked on the door of your heart. And today he calls you home. i am be honest with you. Just about every Sunday he calls me home. I was in the booth back there listening to worship. And just hearing, hearing us sing what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. And he called me back home. All week I was busy thinking about, oh, i got to write a good sermon so people will like it and more people will come to church. And God said, that's not what it's about, Sean. And he called me home in that moment. See, it's okay. God knows our motives, our ambitions are, are, are mixed. That's why Jesus came and he died for our sins so that all that will be burned away. So, so here's the thing. The, I, I love this. All of us got to believe something. We've got to build our life on something. And what are you going to build it on? Are you going to build it on your career? Are you going to build it on your family? Are you going to build it on a hobby? Maybe, you know... Um, you know, it, you could be softball guy, and you play softball six nights a week, and, and you know, you love Jesus, but really you love softball, you know. Um, you, you talk to Jesus once on Sunday, but you talk softball all week. Whatever it is, that thing that drives your life, that's your foundation. And what Jesus is calling you home to, the call that God gave you in the beginning was to make him the Lord of your life. And I can't tell you exactly how to do that because all of your calls are are the path you're going to take is different. And we all struggle with different things, but we're all the same at the same time. Here, here, here's, here's the cool part, though, about this story. So if you look at verse... Actually, let me, give you, let me try and give you a visual of what all this looks like. So Lot is now getting his stuff, all his stuff, and he's starting to travel down into the valley, the, the Jordan Valley. And... Ai and Bethel are on top of this mountain. You can see just about all of Israel. You can look down. You can see the Jordan River Valley. You see it all. Abraham's standing up on this hill. He's watching Lot and all his money go down into the valley. He's watching it all go away. And he's saying, I'm going to trust you, God. I, 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 I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. This doesn't seem logical. And then in verse 14, look what it says. It says, then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are. So he looked around, he could see everything because he's way up on this hill in this high place. He says, look around from where you are, from the north to the south, from the east to the west. All the land that you see, 
I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Abraham didn't have any children at this point. He's still like, well, how is this going to happen? How is this going to work? How am I going to be this mighty nation living in this podunk area of Canaan? And then all of a sudden God says, Abram, look around. See it all? Because you were willing to surrender it all, I'm going to give it to you all. And here's the deal. This is how God works, guys. This is, this is the amazing part about God. This is how he works. Is see, when you're willing to surrender something, God, C.S. Lewis said it this way, and I, I think it's brilliant. If you live your life for the, or if you live for the next life, you'll get this life with it. But if you live your life just for this life, you'll lose both. Another way, another way to put it is this, is that if, um, you know, if the, the sun, it's always going west, right? And then it comes up and it goes east and it goes west. And if you chase the sun, the shadow follows you, right? And, and think about the shadow as the things of this world that, that are good. How many would say money is a good thing? Can I get an amen? How many would like more of it? Two of you. Three of us. Thank you, Allie. Okay, so here's the deal. Money's a good thing, right? Amen? Family's a good thing, right? Your job, having a good job is a good thing, right? You're, having your health is a good thing, right? All those are good things. They're blessings. They're really what they are is they're shadows of the blessings that God is going to give you in eternity. They're just like a little appetizer of the good things that God's going to give you in eternity. And if you chase after the sun, the shadows will follow you. But if you turn your back on the sun and you chase the shadows, the, th the, 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 the blessings, these temporary blessings, you'll go this way and eventually you'll outrun the sun and you'll just live in darkness and there'll be no shadow. That's the truth. That if you chase the sun, the shadow, you get the shadow too. So Abraham's on this hill and God says, I'm gonna give it all to you because you're willing to surrender it. 2,000 years later, Satan takes Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 to a high place. And he says, look at all of this. Oh, look at all of it. You can have it all if you'll bow and worship me right now. See, Abraham, he stood on the hill and he could either worship money, he could worship his family, or he could worship God. Jesus stood on the hill and, and, and Satan said to him, bow and worship me, you can have it all. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, wait, didn't Jesus create it all? Isn't it all his anyways? Jesus paid it all. You're right, it was all his. But what Satan was saying to him in that moment was this. He was saying, if you worship me, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to surrender your glory. You don't have to surrender your power. You don't have to go through all this. You can just have it all now, and I'll take all those people to hell with me. And what Jesus did is he stood on the hill, and he surrendered it all so that you and I could have it all. Amen. Amen. You guys are way better in the last two services. Let me tell you. <laughs> Here's the deal. The, the, there's this principle in the Bible, and it's in Philippians 2. And it says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, that he lowered himself. And that when you take yourself, your desires, your needs, and you put them at the bottom of the totem pole, and you put God's call on your life first, you know what it says in Philippians 2? It said, then God exalted him. 
And at the feet of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. The world will tell you, if you ain't first, you're last. The way of Jesus says, no, lay your way down and take up mine. And the last will be first. So here's what I, I would love for you this morning to do. Some of you, it's time to come out of Egypt. You made your mistakes. God loves you. That's why Jesus died on the cross to forgive you so that you could have a relationship with him. Come out of Egypt. For some of you, today's the day God is calling you. It says in, in, in John 1.12, it says, but as many as received him, to them he's given the right to become children of God, that you could receive Christ today. You could be forgiven. You could lay down your way and take up his. And you're thinking to yourself right now, I don't know how to take up his. That's the life of faith. Abraham didn't know how he was going to have a family. He didn't know how he was going to be this great nation. He didn't know any of it. He just said, I'm going to trust you, God, and I'm going to chase the sun. And the shadows will fall. Today's the day for you, maybe. This day in July. We have a tradition here at Clovis Hills where when someone makes that decision to chase the sun for the first time instead of the shadows, to put their faith in Jesus, we give them a light bulb. It's just a little LED light bulb, and we have these little big light bright signs on the side of our, our building here that say Jesus is life. And we give you this light bulb, and it's to represent your new life in Christ. And you, you get to take that bulb, and we give you a Bible that, you can have, that, that we have your um, name engraved on it in gold. It represents your, your name being written in the book of life. And we give you those two things, and you can take that bulb, and you can go put it in that light bright sign over there to mark the day that God called you. And every time you come in this room, you can look and go, that's me over there on the L. That was the day, July 16th, God called me to follow him. I'm chasing the sun. I'm sick of chasing the shadows. So I'm going to lead you in prayer right now. So let's just bow our heads.